as we as we've been kind of going through Lent, we we've spent some good time talking about and just sitting in some things that I think are really important. But I also I don't think I'm the only one, and even just kind of talking to people and hearing, I don't think they're easy things to sit in. Um, they're the kinds of conversations and even things that we talk about that cause us to have to sort of sit back and say, how do I feel about this conversation? How do I want to engage uh, with the idea of righteousness, of, of, of living a holy life, and of kind of being honest about where I'm at now in relationship to that desire? And do I really want to stay present to that? And can I stay present to that? And I think it's raising some really good um, kind of spaces in my heart. I pray that it is for you as well even if they're challenging spaces. Um, we're going to stay there again this morning. Uh, but my prayer is that this morning that the Lord would really meet us in this conversation in a profound way. Would really meet us in this season of Lent in a profound way. And my wonder is even if He might not, by His Spirit, shape it a little bit this morning in a very healthy way, if it hasn't already. Um, let me read a text for you from the lectionary passages for this Sunday. The, the passage is Ephesians chapter 5. The first 11 verses. I want you to sit and I want you to hear this passage today. I want you to pay attention to what happens for you in your being as you hear it. I want you to pay attention to what happens to your heart, what happens to your mind, what happens even to your physical body as you hear this passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Therefore, Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The Word of the Lord. How do these in texts, texts like this, this is from the lectionary passages for this week, but there's many others that are similar in their content. How do texts like this impact you? When you hear a text or read a text like this, how does it strike your heart? What kind of feelings, emotions, responses does it create in you if you're honest today? When you sit and you hear a text like that, what happens for you? 
That question will come up again next week in your home gathering. And you can actually, after having a week to wrestle with it, share with one another. But I would say that for me, when I read texts like this, all kinds of things happen for me. Sometimes what happens for me internally depends on the week I've had. It, have I kind of got myself in some space of thinking I'm doing really well and nailing it? Then that text maybe makes me feel good. You know, but maybe alongside it, it makes me feel a little judgmental. You know. Or probably more often, if I'm honest with you, a text like this hits parts of my heart that are far from the mark. That have struggled this week. And sometimes in major ways. And so I can read the text like that and it feels heavy. It feels defeating. I can start to wonder if I measure up in any way, shape, or form. And then I can be caused to either be defeated and quit or to try and ignore passages like that so I could maybe stay present. Right? So I just share a little bit of my own because I probably won't be in your home gathering next week. So there you get my answer. But you can be honest with each other next week, but I hope you can be honest with yourself even right now as you hear that text and we look at it. In this season of Lent, God has very much highlighted some things in our community around the gift of righteousness. Last couple weeks ago, we talked about, and then I heard in your home gatherings, you had some really good discussions this last week. I'm, I just want to encourage you and, and bless you that in your home gatherings, I think something really beautiful is happening. I'm hearing over and over again, and then I get to come and experience too, but just that there's such authentic life being shared. Good conversations. I, I just commend you. Don't stop. Just keep going. The depth that we're growing together as we wrestle with these things is incredible. But some of what's shared is that we wrestle with these things. What does this mean? How do I hear and experience the desire for righteousness or the call to righteousness, this idea of being like Christ? This pastor starts to be imitators of Christ, right? How do I hear these things and how do I hear them in a way that doesn't somehow just become like a massive burden, a weight around my neck, sort of a, a measure that I never meet and so how do I live life and life to the full in the light of these things alongside the realities of my life and this kind of back and forth? I think it's important for us as we then turn to another lectionary passage, which is Psalm 23. And you can turn there with me. If you've got Bibles, you'll want to just have it in front of you, even if you're familiar, just so we can sit in it a bit today. But it's important for us to recognize that in life on any front, as it relates to anything at all, this, what I would call the substance of our belief highly impacts our perception. What, how we see something. How we hear something. So when I read Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 11, part of the reason why it hits me and moves in me the way it does is because of the substance of my belief. So if I sit and I hear that passage, confident in the belief that what Christ did on the cross was sufficient for me, that passage sounds different. But if I hear that on a day when I am deeply wrestling with my own sense of shame, or I'm stuck in a place of works righteousness, I'm trying so hard and I'm just not measuring up, that passage, same passage, same word, sounds different to me. 
So our perception, the way that we see or hear or receive things, even great life-giving truths, we, we just want to be humble enough to admit the way we're hearing and seeing them is often very much shaped by the substance of our belief. Where am I sitting? What am I really believing today? Not what should I be believing, what am I believing? Which can sometimes be very different things. So what I want us to do today is to sit together primarily in this familiar, beloved psalm, Psalm 23, and I want us to remember and to learn maybe in the, the side notes, kind of underneath what we're actually just the to learn something very important today, that the whole of the Scripture must be understood and read together. That it's a unified witness to the truth and the reality of who God is and who we are and what He's called us to. And part of what happens is when we read passages like Ephesians chapter 5, our own kind of perception or space in life, we can have a tendency to want to read it in isolation from the entire witness of God's revelation to us. What I want us to do is to spend some time together in Psalm 23, and then we're going to read Ephesians 5 again. Okay? So let me read this psalm for us, and then we'll dig into one piece of it as an example. Actually, does somebody else want to read Psalm 23 for us today? shepherd the whole rest of the psalm then begins to spell out or to lean into then the repercussions of the very beginning of this psalm but it has to start there the lord is my shepherd and so again like we did with ephesians 5 let's we come present and we let that touch our beings we let we hear this truth and we pay attention to what happens for us. The Lord is my shepherd. And then through the first three verses, it begins to speak out over our lives as sheep <laughs> this incredible thing over and over that He, the shepherd, He acts on my behalf. He leads me. He restores me. He lays me down. That this shepherd acts. He's an active shepherd. He's not a bad shepherd. He's not a neglectful shepherd. He's not a distant or detached shepherd. He's present. And verses 1 through 3 just goes over and over and over. For example, uh, 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 an act of, of the shepherd that really resonates 
maybe with us in this season where we're talking so much about righteousness, we're told that this shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So even as we talk about and we hear these truths of uh, Ephesians 5, to imitate, be imitators of Christ, to walk in this righteous way, now we sit and we recognize and we remember in the impossibility of that call that the Lord is my shepherd and He leads me in paths of righteousness. Wow. You have a shepherd and He is faithful to act on your behalf. He is ready, willing, wanting to act in your life and on your behalf. If we read Ephesians 5 like we're the shepherd, it reads very different. And I don't know about you, but I have that tendency to think that the role and the responsibility of shepherd is actually somehow mine. And so when I start talking about righteousness, if I feel like the path is mine to figure out and discover and to walk, Ephesians 5 reads differently than if I read it in this truth, this beautiful place of knowing that the Lord is my shepherd and He leads me in paths of righteousness. As we keep going, then we're going to spend the most time here in 23, Psalm 23 verse 4. And the first part of Psalm 23, verse 4 says, For at one, or sorry, um, says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now we back up to Ephesians chapter 5, the passage we read first, and we recognize it also speaks of light and dark. The Psalms verse there where it speaks of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death could also have been translated the valley of darkness. Ephesians 5 tells us in verses 8 and 9 that for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in what is good, right, and true. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, through the valley of darkness, even though as I read Ephesians 5, I'm confronted with some of my sin, my unrighteousness, even though darkness is around me, even though sometimes I, I fail and I fall into it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for He is with me. That I am not somehow in those moments and in those places alone, forsaken, suddenly without a shepherd. Still, the Lord is my shepherd. And so I shall not fear. This beautiful picture of light coming into the valley of darkness because the shepherd is with us. Jesus who John 10 says, when he says, I am, Jesus says, the good shepherd. That the Lord is my shepherd. That Christ, the good shepherd, is my shepherd. The one who became like light into the darkness. 
I am, he said, the good shepherd. In John chapter 8, that same Lord, that same shepherd said, I am the light of the world. That this shepherd is the light that comes into these dark places. And so we are not alone there. I believe I've got uh, the verses to throw up on the screen so that you don't have to flip around. But Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. Hear this beautiful passage today. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Oh, sorry, I wrong chapter 13. I was like, that's not right. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. Darkness and light. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is another passage that I could have started with and said, how are you feeling? Right? But you see what happens as we read it now in light of this idea that the shepherd is in my darkness. So put on the armor of light. Put on Christ. Walk in His presence. And let's rest especially in the second half of verse 4, Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I came across an incredible book. It was actually one of my guys at Wagner who put me onto it. He'd found it and, and mentioned it, and so I felt kind of prompted by the Spirit to get a copy. I got it, and I've read it. I've read it two or three times now. It's a book by a man named Philip Keller on Psalm 23. And Philip uh, lived much of his life as a shepherd. And so it's a shepherd's reflection on Psalm 23. Some of you may have seen this before. If you've not, I, I commend it to you highly. It's quite the read. It, it sheds all kinds of light on Psalm 23 that without an understanding of sheep and shepherds, you just would never have. It's an incredible read. So I'm going to quote him a number of times as we look at this little piece of Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. First of all, let's talk about this rod. Uh, a shepherd would have two hands, and as a shepherd, as he'd walk out his responsibilities, he'd use them both. One would hold a staff, and the other would hold a rod. The shepherd's rod was a weapon. Of power. It symbolized, but also very actively and tangibly, was it used to exercise the shepherd's authority and his defense of his sheep. It was used in many ways, to put it not too strongly, I don't think, to control the flock. A couple of thoughts from, from Keller's book on this. Um, four things that kind of the rod really can speak to our hearts today as those who would say, the Lord is my shepherd. And he has a staff and a rod in his hand. And they comfort me. First of all, the rod really, uh, he points out, can be symbolized or kind of connected to the idea of the Word of God. The Scriptures. Let me quote a longer quote from him. We'll put it up on the screen here so that you can see it. It will be recalled how when God called Moses the desert shepherd, 
and sent him to deliver Israel out of Egypt from under Pharaoh's bondage, it was his rod that was to demonstrate the power vested in him. It was always through Moses' rod that miracles were made manifest, not only to convince Pharaoh of Moses' divine commission, but also to reassure the people of Israel. The rod speaks, therefore, of the spoken word, the expressed intent, that extended activity of God's mind and will in dealing with men. It implies the authority of divinity. It carries with it the convicting power and refutable impact of thus saith the Lord. So when a shepherd uses his rod, it is a, it, it's an it's a expression of his intent. And we're going to talk about the ways that the rod gets used. But I love this connection with the Scripture, with the Word of God. The voice, the, the expression of the intention of the Creator in the Word of God. Secondly, this Word of God, this rod, is used as an instrument of discipline. It's used uh, by a shepherd to move sheep away from that which would destroy them. So if you've got a whole bunch of sheep and one of them takes off towards danger, you may not have time to run over there and grab it, but from where you stand, you can throw your rod. And there's a discipline in it, right, that, does it, that, that brings that sheep back into safety, brings it back into community, brings it back into the flock and the covering and safety of the shepherd out of the place that might be dangerous, but it also trains. Discipline trains our hearts. It trains that sheep. That sheep starts to learn that if I start heading in these directions, the rod is coming. And so it brings sheep into this care and protection of the shepherd, but the rod is an instrument of discipline. And so when we say the Lord is our shepherd, we have a God who will work in our lives because He cares for us. He loves us, and part of the comfort we find in Him is we know when we're headed into places that will steal our life, He's not just going to sit by and watch. He'll move to try and pull us away from the things that would destroy it. The rod is an instrument of discipline. The, uh, the rod is used to count and examine sheep. So this one I didn't know. It kind of pulls from this language. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 37, um, it, the, the rod is spoken of as something that the people of God come under, that they are under the rod of God. The idea being that the, the shepherd would bring the sheep into him and they would come under the rod. And part of what was happening was sheep have, if you've ever seen sheep that are ready to be sheared but haven't been yet, like it is quite the afro. Like it's just, there's a lot of wool there and you can't get to the sheep, Right? So part of the thing is the shepherd needs to watch out for the sheep. He needs to make sure that the sheep are healthy, that they're okay. And what they'll do is they'll take the sheep up into their lap and they'll use that rod to part and to pull back wool to see down and to see, to check for things like um, bugs and disease. And to, so they use it to examine the sheep, to count them as their own, and in that place to examine, one of the beautiful connections that Keller makes here is with, with the verse that many of us have read in, in the beginning of our Lent season, Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24, where it says, Lord, 
Search my heart. Let me know if there's any wrong way in me. Keller says that's what it looks like when the Lord, our shepherd, uses the rod to examine us. Where he pulls us in close and he checks to see how we're doing. So the rod is used for discipline, but it's also used to count and examine the sheep. And finally, the rod is used to protect. Well, one quote real quick from Keller before I move on. Um, As we talk about this counting and examining, I thought important to catch this. This process, Keller says, from which we need is this is a process from which we need not shrink. It's not something to avoid. It's done in concern and compassion for our welfare. I don't know about you, but that idea of being pulled into the Creator's lap to be examined freaks me out. So I love this. Chad, don't forget whose lap you're coming into, but the Lord is your shepherd. The great shepherd of our souls has our own best interests at heart, and when he so searches us, What a comfort this should be to the children of God who can trust in God's care. Beautiful. So finally, the rod is used as a a protection. And so um, he talks about even being in other parts of the world where he was a shepherd and watching young boys who knew they would be shepherds from an early age begin to carve and craft their rods and practice with them. And he said by the time they needed to use them, it was amazing to watch the accuracy with which they could throw these things. They were deadly weapons in the hand of a shepherd. So in comes predator, in comes whatever, from a distance, they could throw that thing and deal with the problem. So where sheep were vulnerable, their vulnerability changed drastically. Why? Because the shepherd had a rod. So this is why the psalmist says, his rod comforts me. Because I got an enemy. And darkness is his name and game. But praise God, I have a good shepherd with a rod in his hand who disciplines me, who counts and examines me, but who fights for me. In his other hand is a staff. And the shepherd's staff is an instrument of concern, compassion, comfort. If the rod can be compared to the Scriptures, to the Word of God, and how the Word of God works in our lives, to discipline, to correct, to examine, to protect us, the staff could be uh, compared to the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. A comforter. The staff was used, first of all, to draw sheep together into intimate community. So sheep don't do well alone. But they have a hard time remembering that. And so the staff would be used to pull sheep back in where? Together. Back into the place together where there was far greater safety. Far greater peace. And so our Lord, our shepherd, He he takes that staff and He brings people into our lives. He pulls us together when everything inside of us wants to do what Adam and Eve did after they ate the apple, which was what? Isolate. Run away. Keep a secret. Keep it in the dark. The shepherd comes and says, no, no. 
that'll kill you. Come in here. Something beautiful about this being a staff of comfort and care. It's not a, it's not a rod. Right? Staff is used to draw us back in, to some way communicate, you belong here. We want you here. It's a powerful thing to hear when you're wrestling with your sin. When you feel like you're in the valley of the shadow. So the staff was used to draw sheep together into an intimate way, but the staff was also used to draw sheep to the shepherd. Shepherds who have flocks and are good shepherds love their sheep. There's a lot of, I suppose you could say, cuddling that goes on. They actually like to hold their sheep just to hold them. So they will use their staffs to pull sheep into them, to bring them close. Not to keep them at a distance, but to pull them into intimacy with each other, but also with the shepherd. That the, that the sheep would, why, why does Jesus say, the sheep know my voice? We, the, the sheep know the shepherd because the shepherd has spent intimate quality time with them. And our Father, our Lord, our Good Shepherd has a staff that He wants to use to draw you close. Because He loves being close. He wants to be close. I would go as far as to say you were created by Him to live in very close proximity to Him. And so He uses that staff to continually draw us back to Him. So I love this, that it could be compared to the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit works in our lives to draw us to Christ. To keep pulling us back to Him. Finally, uh, the staff is used to guide and to lead sheep in the way that they should go. So I don't know about you, but i got all kinds of things in my life at many times where I'm headed in directions and I'm not sure what I need or where I should go. Praise God, the Lord is my shepherd. He knows exactly what I need. He recognized that's what the... He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything. I shall not want. Why? Because he has a staff in his hand. He will lead me. He will lead me to green pastures. He will lead me to quiet streams. He will do his work. He'll do what he does. One more quote from Keller and then we'll close our time. The Christian life is not just one of subscribing to certain doctrines or believing certain facts. Essential as all of this confidence in the Scriptures may be, there is as well the actual reality of experiencing and knowing firsthand the feel of His touch. The sense of His Spirit upon my spirit. There is for the true child of God that intimate, subtle, yet magnificent experience of sensing the Comforter at His side. This is not imagination. It is the genuine, bona fide reality of everyday life. There is a calm, quiet repose in the knowledge that He is there to direct even in the most minute details of my daily life. He can be relied on to assist us in every decision, and in this lies tremendous comfort for the Christian.
Tom, would you read it for us again? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or whose covetousness, covet, covetous, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness but now you are in light you are light in the lord walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the lord take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I believe the invitation of God to us today is to hear the, the, the call of this text in Ephesians in light of the reality of Psalm 23. And even throughout this week, to sit in the reality of Psalm 23 and to walk this week of your Lenten journey out holding that firm. And my prayer is for myself and for all of us that that would set our Lenten journey in a right place. Right? That even the places of repentance would be places of great peace. Places where we experience great comfort. Where we come into an, a beautiful awareness of who is our Lord and what that means for 
who we are as his sheep. If we hear messages of righteousness and things, and we don't remember that we have a good shepherd who's leading us, our lives and our world get really upside down really fast. And what was intended to be life-giving truth and invitation actually starts to kill us. And that's a tragedy. The season of Lent is a gift because it is the work of a loving shepherd who seeks to count and examine us and to bring us into intimate relationship with one another and with him and to move in power where we need him to move in power because otherwise we can't. So Father, I pray today that you would come in power. I confess to you that I need a Father who has authority. A Father who has power. A Father who will defend and fight for me. And I welcome you to examine my heart, to discipline my life. We praise and we thank You today that we have a good shepherd. Lord, as we have sat today, I pray that throughout the rest of this Lent season we would continue to sit under the Word of God. And so to know the strength and the comfort and the work of the Word in our lives. I pray that You would come and that You would, in a fresh way, even right now, pour out Your Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would know the care, the comfort, the concern of a Good Shepherd in our lives. Pray that in the spaces where as You are moving in our lives in this Lent season and we are becoming aware of the needs of our hearts and our lives, that the presence and the voice of the Shepherd would be loudest. That the enemy would lose his place and his voice. That there would be, as we're promised, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. but that we would be shaped and changed by You. That we would, in this Lent season, be brought to greater freedom. To greater union with a friend, with, with, with a loved one, with, with Christ Himself. And so friends, with that, picture with that meditation with it, right in this space I want to invite you to make your confession to the Lord this morning to come confidently to the throne of grace where sits the good shepherd to allow the spirit to draw you into this moment I want to bless and encourage you to not leave anything in the dark. Because there in the dark, it eats away at you like a cancer. But when you bring it out into the light because of who your shepherd is, he's really good with that rod. He's very faithful with that staff. 
And so I speak it out over you as we come to confession today. That if you bring your, your sin, if you bring your unrighteousness out into the light, He's not going to throw the rod at your head. So in this quiet moment, I just give you a moment to make your private confession to the Lord. And then together, we will join those prayers together as sheep, as a flock, and, and, and make our confessions known to the Lord. Let's pray.